Good morning. Uh, glad you guys are here with us this morning. Uh, we've been looking the past few weeks at what it means to be a disciple maker in God's kingdom. And so far we have looked at this first competency in the life of a disciple maker, which is pursuing God. Everything in the life of a disciple maker starts with this competency of pursuing God. But today we're moving to our next competency, which is this idea of communicating the gospel. Well, and the, the gospel really is at the heart of being a disciple of Jesus. In some ways, we maybe should have started with this competency because without this competency of knowing and communicating the gospel in our lives, we cannot pursue God. Apart from the good news of Jesus, the gospel, we cannot pursue God. So to truly pursue God and help others pursue God, we must understand the gospel message we must apply it to every area of our life and declare it in the life of others. Like I said, this gospel is the heart of discipleship. Now, before we move towards um, applying the gospel and declaring the gospel to others, we must have a good understanding of what the gospel message is exactly. We have to answer the question of what is the gospel? Now, there are really two basic ways to answer this question of what is the gospel. The first is the gospel on a, on a ground level, the gospel on a personal level. And, and this is the answer to that is the gospel is the good news that God has accomplished our salvation for us through Christ in order to bring us into a right relationship with him and eventually to destroy all the results of sin in the world. See, the gospel is a message about how we have been rescued from peril. See, this first gospel message, this first on-the-ground personal level of the gospel is about offering the biblical good news of how you personally can get right with God. And answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Now, on this on-the-ground personal gospel message, there's really four aspects of this gospel message that I want to take a few minutes a day to really dive into. And the first aspect of this is the gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel, you see, it's not primarily just a way of life. It is not something that we do, per se, but something that has been done for us and something that we must respond to. See, the word good news in the New Testament occurs 133 times. D.A. Carson says it like this. Because the gospel is news, good news, it is to be announced. That is what one does with news. The essential heraldic element in preaching is bound up with the fact that the core message is not a code of ethics to be debated, still less a list of aphorisms to be admired and pondered, and certainly not a systematic theology to be outlined and schematized. Though it properly grounds ethics, aphorisms, and systematics, it is none of these three. It is news, good news, and therefore must be publicly announced. Listen, in short, this is not a message of, I hope this advice helps you. I tried this and it works for me. This gospel message is an, an objective truth. It's objective good news of what Christ has done. It's the objective truth of the greatest hope that we have, 
the greatest hope in the world and the subjective truth must be understood and it must be shared. So the gospel is good news, not simply good advice. The second aspect of the gospel is the gospel is good news announcing that we have been rescued or saved. It's not just good news in a generic sense. It's actually good news about something that we have rescued. Remember, the gospel is about us being saved from peril, that we had something wrong and that we were saved. The question is, what, what are, what were we rescued from? The answer there, quite simply, we were rescued from God's wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is not some impersonal force or some generic darkness or some generic thing or generic pain. It is literally the wrath of God. Because here's, what, here's the issue, is that you and me, us, we are out of fellowship with God. We are not right with God. Our relationship with Him is broken. It's completely broken. And see, this fellowship with God being broken, this, this vertical relationship being broken, leads to everything else in our life and in the world being broken. Listen, we are psychologically alienated from ourselves and we experience shame and fear. We are alienated from each other. We are alienated from creation. Everything around us is broken because the world is out of joint. And we need to be rescued. But the root of our problem is not the horizontal relationships. It's not our problems with our spouse, our problems with ourselves, our problem with the world. Our, our ultimate issue is that we are out of fellowship with a vertical relationship with God. See, these horizontal relationships are, are all the time the most obvious things in front of us. If I ask you what is your biggest problem, you'll probably say, my spouse is this, or I'm this way, or there's not enough money here, or this thing in the world, or my boss, or my coworker, or my mother, or my father. It's some kind of horizontal thing that's the most obvious thing to us. But here's the deal. Our human problems ultimately are simply symptoms of us being out of whack, out of fellowship in our relationship with God. And our separation from God, it is the cause. The reason for all the misery of, in this world is because we are alienated from God. Therefore, the main thing we need, the main rescue we need, is a right relationship with God. And this is some of the problems sometimes with, with, with Christian growth and, and, and self-help, which in and of themselves aren't bad things. But here's the thing. If your primary focus is for you to become debt-free and to have a good, healthy financial portfolio. That's not a wrong thing. That's a good and a wise thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. Does that make sense? Our bad finances are a symptom of an ultimate break in our relationship with God. So we must first deal with that, be rescued from that, and then all these things will go from there. Many times what we attack are the horizontal things while ignoring the vertical things. And we must realize that the gospel is good news announcing that we've been rescued or saved. We've been rescued or saved from God's wrath, not just these symptomatic problems from us being out of fellowship with God. But the ultimate thing of being out of fellowship with God is what the good news is rescuing us from.
So this third aspect is this right here. The gospel is news about what has been done by Jesus Christ to put right our relationship with God. It is good news about what Jesus did to make us right with God. See, becoming a Christian is about a change of status. Listen, John 3.14 says it this way. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. The key word here is we have passed out of death into life. Not that we are passing, but we have passed. Here is just a really key gospel distinctive. You are either in Christ or you're not. There is not this kind of fuzzy middle. Either you're in Christ. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't struggle. But either you're in Christ. Your faith is in Him. You have trusted Him for your rescue. You've trusted Him for your hope. You are in Christ or you're not. Either you're doing your own thing or you trusted yourself. One of these things. You can't be either in Christ or the other thing. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher, would ask this diagnostic question to people who came up to him about faith in Christ. He would say, are you now ready to say that you are a Christian? He would say, are you now ready to say that you are a Christian? And many times people would hesitate at this. And they would say to him, well, I, I do not feel like I'm good enough to say I'm a Christian. And here's his response to when people would say that. At once I know that they are still thinking in terms of themselves. Their idea is still, still is that they have to make themselves good enough to be a Christian. Listen, it sounds very modest, but it is the lie of the devil. It is a denial of the faith. You will never be good enough. Nobody has ever been good enough. The essence of the Christian salvation is to say that he is good enough and that I am in him. You see that it's the essence of the Christian faith. Here's his main point. Becoming a Christian is about a change in our relationship with God. You see, Jesus' work, the work of Jesus, when there's a response of faith in his work, it instantly changes our standing before God. Think about a, a, a marriage. Uh, before you're married, you go to the, the chapel or the church or wherever you got married at. You go there as a single person. And once you commit your vows and, and the rings and all the things at this marriage ceremony, you, you then leave a married couple. You, became, you came single, you left married. And there's this, just this shift, this change of status that happens. The same is true as we put our faith in what Christ did for us. In nothing that we did, there is this change of status that happens because of what Christ did. So the gospel is not good news. I'm sorry, the gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is good news announcing that we have been rescued or saved. Then the gospel is news about what has been done by Jesus Christ to put right our relationship with God. And finally, this, this fourth aspect, this final aspect of the gospel on the ground level and how we define it. 
The gospel is not the results of the gospel. Let me say that again. The gospel is not the results of the gospel. Hear this. The gospel is not about something we do, but about what has been done for us. Yet the gospel does result in a whole new way of life. Martin Luther says it this way. We are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. The, the point here is that true gospel belief will always lead to good works, but salvation in no way comes through because of our good works. Faith and works must never be confused for one another, nor may they be separated. Think about James. He says, faith without works is dead. Here's, and this is so subtle, and I will tell you, this idea of the gospel is not the result of the gospel. In our culture, in our lives today, we must be aware of these things. We must um, understand how we fall prey to this, and we make the result of the gospel what we're after. And here's what I mean. I've heard it said, I'm sure you've heard it said, that the gospel is caring for the poor. The gospel is caring for the poor. Now, let me stop here and say this. Um, the heart of Jesus, the heart of, if you get to the, even the heart of his message, it is for the poor. And that is definitely an implication of the gospel. But the gospel is not simply caring for the poor. See, words have meaning. And, and the word in that sentence that the gospel is caring for the poor that causes problem and leads us to wrong thinking, is the word is. A, a better word would say the gospel leads us to care for the poor. This gospel message that we have been saved, we've been rescued, we've been made right with God, this good news that we then through faith believe in, that should lead us to caring for the poor. But many times we confuse that subtle shift and we make the results of the gospel, caring for the poor, loving others, uh, being kind to other people, uh, good with our money, those, those results of the gospel as the gospel. And that's not the gospel. That's the results of the gospel. Tim Keller says this, We must not then give the impression that the gospel is simply some divine rehab program from the world, for the world, but rather that it is an accomplished substitutionary work. We must not depict the gospel as primarily joining something like Christ's kingdom program, but rather as receiving something, which is Christ's finished work. The gospel then is preeminently a report about the work of Christ on our behalf. It's a report about the work of Christ on our behalf. That is why and how the gospel is salvation by grace. The gospel is news because it is about a salvation accomplished for us. You're literally reading or studying or meditating on the fact of what Jesus did for us. It is this news, this good news, that creates a life of love. But the life of love is not itself the gospel. And this is where we talk about the gospel must be central to everything. If we move apart from the gospel, um, we are moving into 
dangerous, unhelpful, sinful waters. That is the gospel on the ground. But the gospel is not simply good advice. It is good news. And it is good news that we've been rescued from something. And the gospel is good news about what has been done by Jesus Christ to make us right with God. And quite simply, the gospel is not the results of the gospel. This is the gospel on the ground, which answers the question, what must we do to be saved? Which is simply this. Put our faith in what Christ has done to rescue us through his life, his death, his resurrection. Put our faith in that work. And from there, we'll see all kinds of good fruits, all kinds of results of the gospel. But ultimately, it is us, and it's our job to put our faith in that gospel message. That is the gospel on the ground. Now, the gospel in the air, this universal gospel message, this second kind of picture of the gospel is this right here. The gospel is the good news that accomplished God's purposes throughout the history of the world where the world came from, what went wrong, what must happen for it to be mended. See, this, this gospel, the gospel has chapters. Like this gospel narrative, this gospel story has chapters. And it can be outlined like this. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. See, the second, the second picture of this gospel message, this universal in the air gospel message is this idea of what God will fully accomplish in history through the salvation of Jesus. It answers the question of, what hope is there for the world? Now, here is the danger in answering only the first question. What must I do to be saved? Without the second, what hope is there for the world? See, if we only answer the first question, then that first can play into this kind of Western idea that religious religion exists to provide spiritual goods to meet our or my individual spiritual needs. But the danger in um, kind of seeing the gospel too strictly as this big picture story, this big picture narrative, this universal answer to what hope there is in the world, if we only focus on that, it'll tell people God's program to save the world, but it does not tell them how to actually get right with God and become a part of that program themselves. See, we need both aspects of this gospel message. We need it on the ground and the gospel in the air to fully understand this gospel message. And this this gospel in the air, the gospel has chapters. You think through this kind of in the air, right? This first chapter of creation. This chapter answers the question of where do we come from? That God created us in his image and perfect fellowship with him is this first chapter. But then we go to the second chapter and we see fall. We see the fall. Let's answer the question, why did things go so wrong? Man submits to sin and sin enters the world. And literally through that breaking of that vertical relationship with God, all of the horizontal evils in the world we see today. Hunger, poverty, racism, classism, uh, divorce, war, violence, murder, stealing, greed, lust, complete broke, uh, this brokenness in all the world that we see. And we see that come in through the second chapter of this gospel story. But we're not just left there. We go to the third chapter, which is this idea of redemption. And ask the question of 
Who will put things right? There is this complete mess as sin enters the world, and we are literally alienated from our only hope, which is our fellowship with God. But then Christ enters the world, and he dies and pays the price for our sins. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then through his sacrifice, we're made right with God. We can have fellowship and access to God and begins to redeem what was broken. But it doesn't just end there, where things are redeemed but not fully restored as we go to our final chapter in this gospel narrative, which is restoration, which answers the question of what will happen. And we see this in the end of the Bible, right? That God will return. Jesus will come again to finish this gospel story, and he will make all things new. And he will dwell with his people will have this right fellowship with God fully restored, his kingdom here on earth where he fixes and makes everything new. So as we think through this idea of the gospel on two levels, right? On the ground and on the air. The question we must have as we hear this, this news, we hear this good news. It's how we start. It's by hearing the good news, seeing it through God's word. The question we must ask is, how can I be put right? And here's where I believe we, have, we just get off track all the time. Because we go to two different enemies many times. Religion and irreligion. Now, irreligion, what we'll probably all reject and say that is wrong, says this right here. That we're going to reject God's law and live any way that we see fit. And we see a world that their functional savior is irreligion. They turn to do whatever they want, whatever feels right is what they are going to do, and they fully miss out on the good news of the gospel. But there's another equal and opposite enemy, and that is religion. Religion says we're going to reject God by embracing and obeying God's law to earn your salvation. Listen, irreligion and religion are both rejecting the gospel. They are equal and opposite enemies. Our response is to believe in the gospel by grace through faith. See, religion says that we have to live a holy, good life in order to be saved. Irreligion says that because we are saved, we don't have to live a holy, good life. What do we want to do? That's, that's done for. So if we do not become right with God through irreligion or through religion, what is our response to the gospel message? Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see in this gospel, in this, this great picture of the gospel, if, you, if you're familiar with, with the Christian faith at all, you probably heard this passage. But here we see a rejection of religion and irreligion and a picture of how we come to God. So we don't come through religion. Look at verse 8 again. It says, by grace you have been saved. It keeps going, this is not your own doing. There's nothing that you did to be saved. It keeps going, it is the gift of God. Look at verse 9. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Religion, you trying to live out the results of the gospel in order to be right with God will never work. That will never happen. There's nothing you can do. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Religion is an equal and opposite enemy of the gospel. We must understand that, believe that, and reject religion and run towards the gospel. But also, irreligion is not the answer. It's not that you know God did this and now we're free to do what we want. Look at verse 10 here. It says, we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are in Christ. We are saved. The, the gospel's good news to us. We have faith in that works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not that we walked in them, but we are saved to then go walk in the good works that Christ prepared before us. So religion, irreligion, neither are the answer. So how do we respond to God? How do we get near to God? By grace, through faith. Look at verse 4. But God. It's been said many times, and I believe to be true on some level, that the gospel message many times can be summed up in the two words, but God. But God speaks to, this is a message of what God did, of how he rescued us, how he made us right. But God is the essence of the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we had nothing to offer people. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace through faith. It's simply faith in this good news. Faith in what Christ did. And this is probably not new for many of us who've been in church or been a part of the Christian faith for a while. But I will tell you, many times we functionally leave the gospel. And I'll, I'll say this. Saying by faith is not just this simple theological assent to this message. Saying, yeah, Jesus came. I, I, I agree with that. It's not agreeing. Believing is this sense of surrender, right? The great picture of this is, is, is the, the, the parable from Jesus talking about the treasure in the field. That God's kingdom is like a man finding a treasure in the field and selling all that he has because he found this great treasure. Belief, faith is this picture of forsaking everything else. Money, relationships, spouses, kids, parents, siblings, notoriety, forsaking it all for the simple fact of the gospel message. That it is, it is the greatest, most supreme thing in our lives. That is what faith is. Not simply agreeing to a set of beliefs. 
It is forsaking all for the cause and the work of the good news of the gospel. Now, reminder, religion wants me to accomplish my salvation on my own. But irreligion wants me to accomplish salvation by doing what I want to do. Basically, I can save myself by having the best life now. But by grace, through faith in the gospel, calls us to surrender both, both impulses. The impulse to save ourselves and the impulse to do whatever we want to do by continually and in a deeper way surrendering those impulses. And this is where we talked the past few weeks, this idea of pursuing God, at the heart of pursuing God, of being in relationship with God, is hearing and obeying. That, that is the heart of this thing. And this gospel message of hearing and obeying, repenting and believing, leads us back to the circle that we've talked about for the past few weeks. See, God has already spoken through His Word. God has spoken through the message of the gospel. And the rest of our life is this deeper response in faith to that message. That constantly the gospel just butts up against our lives. And then we're called from there to repent of our lack of faith in the gospel and believe deeper in the gospel. That is this circle that we live the rest of our lives. That we move deeper and deeper into the gospel every single day. It doesn't just save us. It sustains us. Here are a couple of just diagnostic thoughts to help you see where you are as far as religion and as far as the gospel. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Religion says, motivation is based on fear and insecurity. Gospel says motivation is based on grateful joy. Religion says I obey God in order to get things from God. The gospel says I obey God to get God, to delight and resemble Him. Religion says when circumstances in my life go wrong, I am angry at God or myself, since I believe, like Job's friends, that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. The gospel says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle, but I know that while God may allow this for my training, he will exercise his fatherly love within my trial. Religion says, when I am criticized, I am furious or devastated because it is essential for me to think of myself as a good person. Threats to that self-image must be destroyed at all costs. The gospel says, when I am criticized, I struggle, but it is not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is built, not built on my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. Finally, religion says, my prayer life consists largely of petition and only heats up when I am in need. My main purpose in prayer is to control circumstances. My prayer life consists of generous stretch. The gospel says, my prayer life consists of general stre generous stretches of praise and adoration. My main purpose is fellowship with God. The gospel is good news. It's good news that we had to be rescued from being out of fellowship with God. It's the message of the good news 
But because we're out of fellowship with God, Jesus came, paid the price we could not pay, made us right with God. As we're made right with God, it leads to the results of the gospel, which are not the gospel. Doing good works is not the gospel. It's the results of the gospel. But it's not just about us, is it? It's also this grand picture of what God is doing, of how he created things perfectly. And then the fall came and sin entered. But it didn't stop there. Jesus came to restore, to to redeem us, to redeem mankind. And finally, he'll return again one day to restore everything. And our response to this message cannot be religion, which says, I can do these things to be made right with God, to be a part of things with God. Or even irreligion, which says, I'm going to do what I want because I want to do it. The answer for us to respond to this good news message is simply, it's by grace. I had nothing to do with this through faith, which means we forsake everything because this news is so good. Nothing else in the world can compare to the good news, can compare to our Savior, Jesus. That is our call. That is our response to this gospel message. Let's pray.